If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Heads up, folks. There is a brief mention of miscarriage in this episode. Motherhood. That glorious, mystical thing. How many times have you heard the following phrases? It's the best thing I ever did. I've never known a love like this before. Now, you won't understand until you're a mother yourself, etc, etc, etc. But then you become a mum and you realise that it's not all glowing skin and cute baby selfies. Or maybe you're not a mum yet, but are scrolling through motherhood, as it's performed on social media, of course. And you're just not convinced it's as perfectly composed and colour coordinated as it's presented to be. I mean, let's be honest, even those no filter, I'm keeping it 100% real posts still feel quite staged. But don't worry, you're not alone. This is the very first episode of Black Ballad Presents The Survival Guide, a podcast where we're really going to get into the nitty gritty of being a black mother in 21st century Britain. No topic is off limits, from fertility to money to dating to sex. The aim of this podcast is not only to survive this wild ride of parenting, but also to help you thrive. By the way, my name's Jandela and I'm head of editorial at Black Ballad. I'm mum to two, stepmum to one, and I'm that new mum who was moaning, why did no one ever tell me about this every two seconds after having my first baby? So, I'm going to be speaking to other black mums about everything, so that if you're a mum, you don't have to feel alone, and if you're not a mum yet, you'll hopefully be better prepared than I was, should you decide to join us on this journey. This is episode one, and it's all about timing. When is the perfect time to have a baby? I'll be sharing with you my foolproof formula that will enable you to pick the perfect moment to procreate. (laughs) of course I'm joking but being serious now as a young black girl growing up it felt like a significant amount of my sex education was being told not to get pregnant to not end up a statistic whatever that meant by people whose greatest fear was babies having babies then I got married and everyone wanted to know why I wasn't pregnant yet I was constantly reminded that I didn't want to leave it too long and if something didn't happen soon then people would think we had problems. Well what does happen when you have a baby quote unquote too soon and will your bones turn to dust if you leave it too late? 
I spoke to two black mums about this idea of timing. And as a forewarning, all of these episodes were recorded remotely during lockdown in and amongst the madness of home life under COVID. So yeah, you're going to hear audio glitching. You're going to hear kids in the background. But hey, it's a motherhood podcast. If ever there's going to be a podcast with a baby crying in the background, it should be one about parenting. My name is Bolande Tajuddin and I'm the founder of Black Blossoms, an organisation which supports Black women artists and encompasses a public programme featuring exhibitions, panels and screenings throughout the UK. As mentioned earlier, when I take a step back and look at the messages that I was told around sex and making babies and becoming a mother over the years, it is very confusing and at times quite contradictory. I asked Bolanle what she was told about having a baby growing up. I wouldn't necessarily say it was timing that was the big conversations happening. It was more around the situation you would get pregnant in, that kind of making sure you're in a stable, steady relationship, being married. I'm a Catholic and Christian, so I went to Catholic school. I grew up in Pentecostal church. So the idea of really being married was what was really ingrained to me. And I guess if I was 19 and married, it wouldn't have been a problem. Not necessarily Mm. a problem, but I would have felt a bit more secure in my decision to go on with the pregnancy, even though I did anyway. But that definitely was the kind of messaging I was getting younger. It was definitely around being in this like union with a significant other before deciding on having children. But at the same time, growing up in a Catholic school, I remember we were very visibly taught about abortion and how bad that was. On one hand, you've got this message that, you know, you should be in a loving relationship and you should be married before having children. However, we live in a society where, like, people are definitely having sex before marriage Mm -hmm. and therefore that can result in children. But then you're told abortion's really bad. I've got friends who've had multiple kids and they still say the same thing, that the moment you find out you're pregnant is... I don't know how to describe it. It's scary and overwhelming whether you've been trying for a baby or whether it's taken you by surprise. Star, my daughter that I have now, she wasn't my first pregnancy. I had got pregnant about a year and a half previously with basically my first love. I remember that day finding out that I was pregnant and I was shook. Do you know, me and my partner, actually, at that time, we was arguing and he was like, actually, furthermore, you haven't come on your period in a while. And I was like, how do you know? Like, in my head, I was thinking, huh? <laughs> so he was like, go to the clinic. And I did. I didn't even go thinking that I was pregnant. I just went mm. because it asked me to. And I thought, right. Um, so I went to the clinic and I took a pregnancy test. And the nurse was like, yeah, you're pregnant. And I was like, huh? <laughs> like, because I was not expecting it I didn't even wake up that morning and think that by the end of that day that I would be pregnant yeah (laughs) I would be told that I was pregnant and I just started crying and crying and the nurse was a black woman and she was like it's gonna be okay don't worry everything's gonna be fine I was like no it's not like I'm only I think what 17 
So I called my partner, um, my boyfriend. So we met up and he touched my belly and I felt like this love. We were still talking about whether or not we were going to keep the baby. And within three days, I miscarried. And I didn't really get a chance to like process it because it was just like, oh, okay. And then the star, when I got pregnant with star, I was actually in Nigeria, got pregnant the first time. I went on the injection and the injection lasts for like six months, but it kind of lasts for like a year actually. And so I didn't have a period for a whole year after I had the injection the first time after um, I had the miscarriage. Just before I went to Nigeria, I actually got my period like two months before that. And I remember going back to the clinic thinking, okay, I need to go on some form of contraception. But then I was sitting in the chair And I was like, oh, I'm going to Nigeria. I don't need any contraception. So I didn't actually get the injection again. I wasn't on any contraception. And in Nigeria, I didn't know where to go for like the morning after pill or the pill itself, because it wasn't really my country. It's my country, but I didn't, I didn't even have like girlfriends, girlfriends to really be talking to like that, to be like, oh, is there like any kind of family planning clinic? I dreamt about her before. I went to bed. I had a dream that I had a little girl on my shoulder and I was trying to knock the child off my shoulder and she wouldn't come off my shoulder. And I woke up and my tits were really hurting me and my nipples were really sore. And I don't remember if I threw up, but I knew I was pregnant instantly. I just just knew. And then I went to go get something to eat and I threw up. And I think because I wasn't here in London, I was really, really scared. And I had heard girls in Nigeria talk about their experiences. There was a girl that we literally spoke about a week before whose mum was looking for her and they had like found her dead. So I was more scared than anything else at the time. I just remember thinking, I need to get back to London. I remember one time we was having dinner and we was eating and I threw up in my mouth and I just sat there for like 15 minutes. I knew if I had got up and ran to the toilet, everyone would have known, especially like in Nigerian culture, like as soon as a woman's sick, it's like, oh, are you pregnant? Yeah, I was really, really scared. And I just remember thinking, okay, I need to get back to London quickly. My friends helped me with my plane ticket. And I came back to London and no one knew. So my mum was like, where's Bola? They were looking for me in Nigeria. My dad was just like, yeah, she's probably just doing her thing. And then I came home to my mum and I told her and she was so upset. I remember her calling my dad and was like, she's literally been with you for like six months and she's pregnant haven't been taking care of my child so what was it that made you scared about being pregnant in Nigeria was it the things that you'd heard was it how your dad would react or your family would react to the fact that like as you said you were young you weren't married or was it more like the reality of the health aspect yeah I think it was really the health care I was like Mm. thinking I don't want to have a child here I think it was naivety as well I think now if I got pregnant I was in Nigeria I would probably have the baby there because I wouldn't be as scared or naive funnily enough my mum took the news worse than my dad my dad yeah my dad is like my dad's super cool like he was just like oh I'm gonna be a granddad congrats kind of vibe (laughs) and my mum was like oh my gosh what are you gonna do 
So do you think that the difference between your parents' reaction was due to their gender and experiences or do you think it was maybe the fact that your mum was in England and there was just a different attitude towards young girls getting pregnant? Like, what do you think that difference was or was it very personal? Well, my mum had me at the same age I had my daughter, but my mum was married. It's not, it wasn't about age, just the fact that, you know, you're going to be a single mum. That's what my mum's whole vibe was. It was like, why do you want to do that to yourself? Now, there's this myth around young mums that does my head in. It's this idea that young women get pregnant just to sit on their backsides and live large off whatever meagre benefits they're entitled to because they're lazy, irresponsible little girls. Now, anyone who has the privilege of being friends with a young mum will tell you that nine times out of ten, this is never the case. And for that one time out of ten that it is, you know what? Motherhood is friggin' exhausting, man, okay? It's a full-time job in itself, and any woman who decides that she wants to focus solely on raising her kids shouldn't be judged for it, no matter what age she is. Anyway, back to Bolanle. After I had Star, I got really serious. Like, everything changed. I went back to college. I'd done an access course. Everything was very media or fashion-orientated in my life. And then Mm. I got into Leeds University, which is a Russell Group Uni. And I remember I wanted to become a parliamentary assistant or I was going to, like, convert to law. I was just thinking, okay, in five to six years, I would be, I think at the time I'd have been like 27. And I just thought, okay, I want to be able to really provide for me and my daughter. I want to be on like 60, 70K. I want a really good job. Yeah, my life did change after I had started because it was just very much like, I don't have time for experimentation. But after I went to Leeds Uni for a year, so my mum looked after my daughter for the first, not... I think Star was about, yeah, she was one when I went to Leeds. And I would come down, like, every weekend or every other weekend. And I really, really missed Star. Like, I felt so sad that I had left my baby in London. I left after the first year. Like, I think I left within seven months. I was just like, I didn't really like the university. I didn't like being so far away from my baby. And I definitely think then... It wasn't that I didn't bond with her. Like, I felt the bond severed a bit because I was away from her for so long. But I felt so pressured to go to a good university so I could leave getting a good job that I just wasn't thinking. Whereas in reality, I ended up coming back to London. I went to another good university and it kind of went better with my personality. Still got to spend time with my baby, be a really big part of her life. Yeah. Where did that like pressure come from? Was it internal, external? I think it was definitely a bit of both. I didn't want people to look at me and be like, ah, you know, that's just a young single mom, you know, on benefits kind of vibe. And then also for me, I just, I never like saw myself having a baby. I'm not like the most maternal girl out of my group of friends so it's not like I would see a baby in a pram and instantly want to pick up the baby I would never offer babysitting services to any of my cousins I wasn't really interested internally it was just like oh this is my life now like I'm a mum I just always felt or thought that I'd be free traveling the world and then all of a sudden I had this kind of um I wouldn't yeah restriction to like what I could do I just wanted to do things that I knew that would give me the best opportunities 
no matter what age you find yourself becoming a mum, there is always a sense of lust to navigate. And that's lust of the life you lived before, sometimes even who you were before. Becoming a parent really can feel like your life is turned upside down for the sake of this tiny, oblivious human. And in some ways, you can feel like you're missing out. All my friends had gone to uni that year. Facebook was a thing. Facebook had just become quite big. So we're talking around 2009. So I was born in 2009. So mm. I remember I all these pictures of all my friends in uni raves. And I used to be like, rah, like, I'm at home with a baby. Like, I felt, oh my gosh, I was actually really depressed at one point. I can't do that. And, you know, I remember I used to buy shoes because I used to think, yeah, one day I'm just going to go raving. So I had, I've still got some of the shoes. I used to buy a lot of shoes, like high heels. And I, was, I used to be like, but you're not going out because you've got a baby and I'm not staying at home at night time while you go out raving. First time I did go out after I had Star, I fell asleep. I wanted to be with Star. I wanted to grow up with her. Um, I wanted to watch her grow. I wanted to look after her. In terms of travelling, I have a re- I did like myself, I've got my mum at right round and round the corner from my house, I've got my aunt. When I did want to go out, I would, but I think when Star turned three or four, I only ever chose to really leave Star to go to industry events because I put a lot of energy into the work that I do. I was in uni studying PR and then I would go to like a networking PR brunch. So early in the morning, I'll drop Star off to my child mind out or I'd pick her up a few, like I'd pick her up around six or seven. Sometimes I'd pick up Star from the child mind's house really, really, really late as well. But I was always doing work within industry or things that would benefit my career. And then the way that I felt like I wasn't missing out, one of my closest friends had a baby who was Star's best friend. So the girls are literally like eight months apart in age. And me and her spent a lot of time together. I basically lived in her house with Star for like years. Like I was always there. Where the girls were playing with each other, I also had company. I don't feel like I was missing out as much. It's a really weird one because then I, because I look, I look at a lot of my friends and I look at the ones who don't have babies as well. And I don't even mean it in like a horrible way, but I just think, oh, you guys don't even have kids and you guys haven't even achieved as much as like me and other girls I know with children. I think that helped as well because I just knew that having a child gave me focus. I just had to be super structured with my time and make sure that I wasn't falling behind in deadlines and things like that make time for school meetings. I was on the Parent Teacher Association. I would take part in her school events. And then I had uni things. I just had so many things going on that I was really like conscious about what I was doing with my time and how I would sometimes, because I did also waste a lot of time and made sure that I learned from the time that I'd wasted quite quickly and think, okay, what could I be doing within this time that would make my life better, Star's life better, and also society, because my work does focus on that, it's quite socially engaged. The reason why I wanted to do this episode is because when you're a woman thinking about children, it can feel like you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Don't have kids too early because you won't do anything with your life, but if you leave it too late and focus on your career, you're not doing it right either. And if you have a kid right in the middle... Well, that's just not a very wise decision, is it? 
I remember when Cardi B got pregnant and I really had to check myself because mm. I think it was more because she got pregnant for offset. Yeah, I was just like, oh God, like she's just in the middle of her banging career. Like, what is she doing? Like, and then I sat there and I was just like, and then she came out with it and she was like, I don't know why people are making me feel so bad for wanting to keep my baby. I could actually cry thinking about it because I remember how I felt people judging me. But actually, it's really like, no matter what time, like you said, you choose, it could be at the beginning of your career, or you could choose to have a baby in your 40s. People would be like, oh my gosh, you left it really late. You can mm. choose to have a baby in your 30s. That's bang right in the middle of your career when bosses are less likely to hire women because they know that women are going to go and get pregnant. So you've really just got to make the best decision for you and mm. used to have that baby. and. You know, I don't want to be like one of these women, but I am. Star has added nothing but value to my life. She hasn't taken anything away from me. And I am so grateful, like, that I have her. Like, I'm so happy she chose me to be her mum. Of course, it's hard work, but no matter what age you have a child, it's going to be hard work. And I think society really just needs to leave women alone and what society needs to do is that we need better support mechanics to support mums. So we don't have good support systems, I think, for mothers, young mothers and older mothers alike. The mums that I talk to right now who've got children under two, a lot of them are very lonely. There's all those mother and baby groups. They don't really exist anymore. I guess it's been replaced with online forums and chats and things, but it's not the same like physical spaces for mums of all ages to meet up are really really important because the truth is when you have a child and someone else doesn't have a child usually there's different energy which isn't a bad thing it's just that they can go out all the time they're free whereas you know you need to be home by seven you know Mm. so when you have other mums who are friends you know you can meet up with the kids the kids get company you get company and sometimes the only way to find those friends unless you're fortunate enough to have a friend who got pregnant around the same time as you the only way to find those friends is through mother and baby groups and financially I think mums like what is 20 pound child benefit gonna do what is I can't even remember like my maternity allowance it was quite good actually because I did get maternity pay I remember thinking this this isn't a lot yeah I can't remember how they calculated it but It still wasn't that much money. And what we want is mums who aren't stressed out because of money and they can literally pour all that emotional time and energy into their children. Having to think, oh, I have to go back to work. And who's like, I just think there's just so much pressure put on mums to go back to work after nine months. And yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot. And so I, I understand why a lot of, especially black women are apprehensive about the right timing because you know you've also got to survive for that baby imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The theme of this podcast is surviving and thriving through motherhood. I asked Bolanle what she thinks helps her thrive as a booked and busy young mom to a gorgeous 11-year-old girl, and she keeps it 100% real. When I've got enough money to do what I want to do with my child and like not have to worry. So if I can take Star out for the whole day and I can go to a cafe in the morning for breakfast and I can get lunch, get dinner, we can go to amusement activities and I just don't have to think about, oh my gosh, I'm on my last tenner. Mm. <laughs> that helps me thrive. And mm. therefore making money is really important to me like having that because paying your rent and buying food for your house that to me is bare minimum you know Mm. that I should be able to do that but then having extra luxuries is just it's amazing like if she wants something and I can buy it for her without worrying and I can spoil her if I want to spoil myself I love it. I love being a young woman with a child with extra income because people don't, people don't want you to be like, it's not people don't want you to be, but it's not expected, isn't it? People expect you to be struggling. Like they expect you to be punished for the decision of having a child at a young age. So because you had a child, when we think you shouldn't have a child, you should not enjoy your life for the rest of your life. Yes, that is it. So I like being able to floss in it. So <laughs> Try floss is all the same thing. You know what I mean? So that for me is that helps me thrive. Like making a good income helps me thrive. Now I feel what Bolanle is saying on a molecular level. Now, of course, there are gonna be people thinking, well, that's why you shouldn't have a kid when you're young. If you wait till your life is more established, you'll have more money. Fact. But I'm here to tell you that kids are expensive no matter what. However much money you think they're going to be, they're probably going to cost more. Anyway, let's find out about the other end of the age spectrum. What happens when you're an older mum? My name is Anu. I am a 40-year-old mother to a five-year-old son and a almost two-year-old son. And they are amazing and rascally and 
beautiful and challenging. I work as a medical doctor in London and I've been a doctor for, I don't know, over 10 years. And I'm also doing a PhD and I'm currently in the process of writing up my thesis. When I was younger, I definitely thought that I would get married in my like, I guess, mid-twenties-ish and then have two kids, preferably twins. And we would be all wrapped up with having children by 30. Yeah, that that would kind of just kind of spring through it, get on with my career or, you know, raising the family. I guess I was modelling that a lot on my mum, who had my brother and I in her early 20s, like she was 22 or so. And so that was kind of the norm or I felt the norm for me and kind of what I was expecting to happen. Yeah, it, it didn't happen like that at all really (laughs) and I think definitely that there was a perception or an expectation that things would happen in a in a certain time frame for me and for a lot of my friends and that's not necessarily how life has panned out for for many of us. Earlier this year Black Ballad conducted a survey on black women's experiences and thoughts about motherhood. Over two and a half thousand women took part and there were over 180 questions or so that covered all sorts of topics. But one of the things that really stuck out to me was that 52% of those that responded said that they felt like cultural and family expectations placed the most pressure on when they should become mothers. And also 50% of those that answered said that finding the right partner was the number one factor that determined when they would start having children. I'm Nigerian and the Nigerian community is strong and vibrant and, you know, you're surrounded by cousins and aunties. You end up going to a lot of weddings, a lot of birthday parties. And so culturally, I think that there's just this, some of it is, covert and a lot of it is very overt expectation of when you are supposed to settle down and so there's kind of a mantra of school 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 until a certain point then it's all about university and then somehow all of a sudden the switch flips and now it's all about when you're going to settle down when you're going to get married then you get married then it's like when you're going to have children when you're going to have children and people generally don't have any qualms about asking you that directly and with the expectation that one you want to have children two that you can have children and that if you've not had them within a year or so of getting married then there's like some sort of issue that there needs to be an intervention to tackle and then I think when I was younger I just didn't really think that any of those steps would be difficult that makes sense yeah I think there's just a naivety that things are just going to life is just going to unfold in this linear predictable manner well, life is not like that at all, is it, really? So it can be a bit of a rude awakening when you realise, actually, you've just turned 30 and you're not married. (laughs) There's no kids on the horizon. And actually, you have to redress how you qualify success for yourself, if that makes sense. So, yeah, like getting married and having kids was always like, you know, something to achieve. And once you've achieved, it's like, yeah, now you're a grown woman or now you've kind of arrived. And when those things don't happen in the time that you think that they should, then you have to kind of reevaluate who you are. And then you realise that you're not defined by those things at all. 
the pressure that we put on ourselves to fit into those moulds is really unnecessary and not at all helpful. So Anu's husband dropped from the sky and it was all plain sailing from there, right? (laughs) Not so fast. My husband was living in Spain. So I am not necessarily an advocate for the long distance relationship because I think they come with a whole other suitcase of like load. But um, he, we, all of our dating was long distance because he had just accepted a contract to work in Spain and then we got married and then he went back to Spain (laughs) for like another four months or so before his contract ended. And then he came back to London and then we were married for three years before we had our first son. And so you can imagine that as soon as he came back from Spain, people were like, yeah, so where's that baby at? And it was like, um... (laughs) And the thing is, because we had spent so long, so well, most of our courtship was overseas. We just wanted to kind of enjoy being in the same country and had an appreciation that once we had kids, things would be forever changed. And this was our an opportunity for us to kind of just be in a relationship that wasn't dictated by when the next flight was leaving and having to drive to like Stansted to drop him off and all of this drama and just kind of relax and do what, you know, regular people in relationships do. But like you've already mentioned, that pressure was, oh, it was so much. It was really a lot. And then and then what it did for me was that it made me feel like there was something wrong with me for not being pregnant in the whatever everybody thought was supposed the correct time. And it's such, uh, it can become such a toxic place and it can really cause friction within your relationship or within your marriage. And so that that then just compounded the whole thing because it was like, oh my gosh, am I too old now? Maybe we have waited for too long. And we weren't intentionally not trying not to get pregnant, if that makes sense. It just didn't happen. And we weren't worried about it until we were worried about it. We didn't have IVF, but I had a huge seven centimetre ovarian cyst, which is like the size of like, um, like one of those decent melons, but the small yellow, the yellow ones. I'm laughing that it was not funny at the time, but basically I had been getting this pain, this like pelvic pain. And I like many women would have like these horrifically heavy periods and we can't relate to anybody else's experience of menstruation. We just know that we all do it, if that makes sense. So you don't know how much is normal and how much pain is like abnormal. And so I'd been like struggling for ages and then collapsed at work actually, because this thing was trying to kill me. And yeah, so I ended up having to have surgery for this cyst. And then in, in that process found out I had like stage four endometriosis which was contributing to my horrible periods and and all of these weird symptoms that I was getting. So I had to have surgery to have the cyst dealt with and then they cleared up loads of the adhesions. I had lots of bits of my bowel were stuck down and my uterus was stuck to stuff and it was just a hot mess. But this is all, I didn't know any of this until I presented as an emergency. So once I had the surgery, the consultant afterwards was like, yeah, so if you're not pregnant in six months, then you need to have IVF. Don't waste time. Your endometriosis is bad. And you're basically getting old by this point. I was like, I don't know, 34 or so. So that was a massive blow because 
we did never think that there was something wrong. And then obviously being told that there is, I don't know, it was, yeah, it was really shattering actually. So we didn't have IVF because I ended up getting pregnant and I ended up, it took longer than the six months that he predicted. But I think mentally for me, I just wasn't, I couldn't, I hadn't accepted basically that that was going to be our reality, that I would need to go through that. And and also I knew that I was older and we just prayed a lot. And then I ended up getting pregnant in 2015. But it was really... I don't know. I like think like so many women, I got those ovulation sticks or whatever. I was doing like my temperature, doing all this charting. And then it was making us like super stressful. So then like threw all of that away. And then it's like all of like the intimacy and all of that stuff just goes out the window because then everybody's just so focused on got to make a baby, got to make a baby. <laughs> Very little romance left. Even comparing the my two pregnancies. So I was pregnant at 35 and the uh, 38 there's a massive difference it's a huge huge difference so my first pregnancy wasn't great well it was fine I, I, I thank god didn't get morning sickness or any of the really typical symptoms but about halfway through my pregnancy I developed really bad shortness of breath to the point that it became completely debilitating and I couldn't walk 100 meters I couldn't go upstairs. I couldn't walk to work and work was an eight minute walk from where we were living. We lived in a flat on the top floor. It was just three floors. But like even doing the stairs, I'd have to like stop, have many times. It was awful. It was really a horrible, horrible experience. And I had to really limit and curtail my normal activities to be able to manage. And I ended up going on maternity leave two months early because I couldn't work. So that was really awful. And then when he was born, it was fine. Well, his the, my delivery was awful. But after that, the shortness of breath was fine. So that was like my main memory of that pregnancy was the breathlessness. And then being 38 and getting pregnant with my second son, that pregnancy was completely different. And I didn't get any breathlessness. I also probably didn't take the time to just be pregnant if that makes sense like I was just carrying on like normal so I didn't really put on a lot of weight he ended up being born he's he's still small now and I wonder if it's because I didn't take more time while I was pregnant to kind of look after myself and and what I found after that pregnancy is that oh gosh well I don't know if you ever get back to normal normal but like getting back to myself physically or what what I thought was myself has taken so so long like I think I read somewhere about um you mourn the loss of your pre-pregnancy self or your pre-child self and it is a rebirth of who you are as a person and this transformation into being somebody else but realizing that you don't ever really go back to who you were mentally physically emotionally everything is so different and I really felt that after the second baby I really felt my capacity to deal with the sleeplessness the low energy was far reduced and I think that's almost certainly yes because I was older but also you've got another child (laughs) that you've also got to raise and look after and give attention to. I don't know, I felt like my resilience was was depleted. It's a blessing for sure, but I think it took a lot longer to kind of come out of the dark period. 
We'll get into Annie's birth story in a later episode, but if you missed it in her very modest introduction, Anu is a boss. She's a doctor who's currently studying for her PhD, so I guess she's going to be Dr. Dr. Anu, maybe? I don't know. Either way, she's steadily progressing in her career with two kids, and you don't need stats from a survey to tell you that that's a massive concern for most working women. Do you have your babies early before your career has really taken off and just kind of manage? Or do you get started on the ladder and then find a convenient place to take a break and pop out a kid or two before returning to the rat race? Or do you want to wait until you're established and have a solid career and a financial foundation before introducing kids to the mix? Well, I asked Anu her thoughts about blending kids and career. Mm. I think the question of when to have children is really, I guess the unspoken thing or sentiment in that question is that we assume we get to decide. Like we decide, I want to have my child this year because I'm having a career break or I'm like, I want to go for a promotion next year or I'm moving companies or something, right? So this would be a good time to like sandwich the pregnancy or whatever. And it completely assumes that you're in control of being able to get pregnant whenever you want. And that's not the case. And one of the things that I've experienced myself and with loads of my friends is that it hasn't worked out at the time that we wanted to. So even if you're one of the fortunate people that has that clarity of this is the good time to have the baby, your body might be, t- might be saying otherwise, like you can only have the baby if you get pregnant and it it's not easy to get pregnant. And it's a bit of a fallacy that everybody gets pregnant whenever they want. Some people do for sure. But many of us don't, especially as we get older. And that is a really harsh reality. So I was, I guess, realised belatedly that it wasn't going to be easy and then had to deal with all of that stress. And so now whenever anybody asks me, I'm like, look, if you want to have kids and you know that you want to have kids, then go for it. Because I pretty much feel like you can work everything else around that when you get pregnant, you don't necessarily have the control over that that you think you do. And, you know, and we all know people that have tried for years and people that have undergone IVF and that it hasn't worked and, you know, and have had multiple cycles. And so when you ask people in that situation, they're like, any time would be the best time. So for me, I'm juggling many, many things, trying to juggle my career, trying to juggle the children, but I'm happier to mould my career around them than to not have them because of my career. But I know not everybody feels that way particularly, but I, that's why I'm like, if you know fundamentally that you want to have children, that like you know that, and if you start from that base point, then so far as you are, you know, you've got the support that you feel that you need, um, you're in a relationship that you think that you feel that that's the relationship you want to have children in, then I wouldn't wait because you don't know how long you're going to end up waiting for. And, you know, and then and I said that to one of my friends and she got pregnant on her honeymoon. <laughs> and so I was like, well, that's good. That's great. I mean, and it is good, but then it's not been so easy the next time. And so actually you realise that even if it happens quickly once, it might not, it might be a big gap before you have another child. And for us, we knew we didn't want to have them too close together because I'd had a cesarean, right? So you're supposed to wait however long. 
But failing that, we were like, yeah, let's just get on with this because I don't want to be like 40 plus with all of the additional stress and the risks that we know are associated with having a baby over the hump of 35, which is what they classify, right, as a geriatric pregnancy, which is ridiculous. But yeah, and even having been pregnant at 38, I was, um, when we went for our prenatal scans and they did the whatever test, um, I was super high risk for him having Down syndrome. And so then we had to go for additional testing to find out if he really did have it. Um, And he doesn't have it and he's absolutely fine. But those two weeks of my life were the most stressful thinking about all of the what ifs. And that risk calculation was based primarily on my age. And so you have to know that by waiting longer and longer and longer, it does come with additional risks. And so you have to decide whether or not those are risks that you want to take. As much as we make jokes about it, motherhood isn't just something to survive, hanging on by the skin of our teeth in the outer limits of our sanity. We should be thriving as parents for our sakes, as well as the sake of our children. So I asked Annie what helps her to survive and thrive on this wild adventure. So the thing that I think has helped me survive has been community and support. Before I got married, I was never particularly keen on massive girl group groups, if that makes sense. Like I have like my inner circle crew, but like that, those wider networks were not something that I ever really got connected to. But there is nothing like having a group of friends that are also awake at 3am trying to breastfeed their kid back to sleep. It makes so much difference to just know that there is somebody else out there that can relate to your struggle and that it's okay to feel really crappy about this. It's okay to feel like you're not doing a good job because invariably you are, but sometimes you just need somebody else to tell you that. So I think having that circle of female friends, well, they don't have to be female, but it helps if they've also got children or babies at the similar age as you, was really, really beneficial in just kind of validating your experience and making me feel like I wasn't alone in this journey. And I think even if you've got like a really supportive partner, they sleep through a lot of this stuff. (laughs) And so... (laughs) Other mums that are also awake in the dead of the night or that haven't slept and like now you've got to, um, I don't know, go out and get groceries or whatever. Just knowing that there is somebody else at the end of the phone that can relate to that experience was really helpful for me. And so I have now like all of these little kind of networks of mums of kids of similar age. Some of them are from church, some of them from work. I did NCT with my first pregnancy. So having those group of mums to connect with that are kind of in your local area, I think is really helpful. And to having kids of a similar age. It's just, you know, even if you don't get to see each other much, I think, yeah, it it just made me feel like I don't have to have the answers. There's other mums that are on Google trying to figure out what that cry means, why he's doing this with his feet, and it's okay. For what helps me to thrive, oof. I don't know. I think I take a lot of photos of my kids, and one of the things that I love to do is get them printed out, stick them up on the wall, and reflect and reminisce on on like those sweet times and I have so many deadlines and so many demands on my time that often it's really easy to get lost in why 
I'm doing all of this stuff and having their photos and these things on the wall and kind of surrounding myself with that helps me to, I guess, stay grounded and think, okay, I'm doing this because I want to give them a good life. I want to be a good example for them. I want them to be inspired. I want to equip them and build them up to be righteous, valiant men. And that's like not an easy thing to do, but kind of looking at their sweet little round chubby faces makes me feel like it's possible. And, you know, I can take one step at a time to do that. Also, I have post-it notes everywhere. So that's the other thing, write everything down. It's the only way I can survive. This has been the first episode of Black Ballad Presents The Survival Guide. Thanks for tuning in and please remember to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts so that more people can find the show. And also please do subscribe wherever you usually listen to podcasts and come back next week. This episode was written by me, Jandela Benson and produced by Christina Moore of Don't Skip. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.